If you have uh, your worship folder there, flip over to page 11, and uh, we're going to read here in just a moment from uh, Genesis chapter 26. And um, uh, as we uh, you perhaps noticed last week, we are back in uh, the book of Genesis uh, after taking a break, looking at uh, the ideas and topic of church leadership in the, in the month of January. We're going to pick back up now in Genesis and uh, look at the second part of this book. Uh, well, actually, a third part. Uh, the first part we looked at was uh, basically uh, the first 10 or 11 chapters looking at creation through the flood. And, and then we looked at Abraham. Uh, and now we're looking at Abraham's son, Isaac, and, and his story. And then we'll end up looking at uh, eventually the, the story of Jacob. But before we do that, what I'd like to do this morning is I always like to remind us that this book, the book of Genesis, it's the first book that uh, Moses wrote to God's people on their way to the promised land. And we usually tend to think of the gospel as a New Testament idea. Uh, But what we noticed, it's been a while, I know, and, and we're only one week back into Genesis The New Testament actually teaches us, though, that the gospel is uh, preached in Genesis. Particularly, it comes out in the story of Abraham. That Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, he tells us that God preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So, when we come back to the book of Genesis, we have to ask ourselves always, how does this book, how do these stories preach good news to us? And so what I want to do is read uh, two sections from chapter 26 this morning. We're not going to read the whole chapter, um, and I'll I'll try to fill in gaps as we go. But I want to read these two um, passages here on page 11, and then uh, we'll, we'll jump in and look at this story together. Listen to what God has to say here. He says, Now there was a famine in the land. And this is the land here is the land of Canaan. It's referred to as the promised land. There was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments my statutes, and my laws. And then if we were to jump down to verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he, that is Isaac, built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. So, here is the question I want to come at this chapter. Uh, I want to come at this chapter with this morning. Um, Abraham's story is a good news story. But it's a story where God says, I am going to bless the nations through you. That is, through his offspring. So, how, how does this good news story reach beyond Abraham? And how we saw that initially answered was God gave Abraham and Sarah a son. His name was Isaac. And we were introduced to Isaac and to his sons, Jacob and Esau, last week. And what's very interesting, though, if you, if you read this middle section of Genesis, Isaac really is a shadowy figure. Uh, he, he is anticipated in Abraham's life and Sarah's life, and eventually he's born. And then he features very prominently in chapter 22, when the famous chapter when God uh, calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, uh, which is um, no difficult or no, it's a very challenging chapter because Isaac is the promised son through whom God's promise is going to uh, flourish. And here God calls Abraham to sacrifice this son. And then Isaac shows up. He has these two sons, Jacob and Esau. And really, he doesn't feature much in chapter 25 through 35, except for this chapter. Chapter 26... Isaac is the main character, and it's really one of the only places where he is the main character. And the question for us this morning is, why? Why does Isaac feature here as the main character, and really only here? And so I want to try to answer that by looking at two points with you this morning. The first point is going to be the blessing of God, and the second the journey of a son, the blessing of God and the journey of a son. So first, let's look at the blessing of God. Uh, Now, I I know I didn't print out all 33 verses of uh, this this section of chapter 26. So I first, I want to look at the blessing of God by first looking at the flow of the narrative of this chapter. You'll notice, if you have a Bible in front of you, the, the chapter begins and there's a famine in the land. And, and, and Isaac <coughs> is confronted with what to do. And God says, do not go to Egypt, but stay in this land. And Isaac obeys God and he does. And as the chapter unfolds, the famine actually gives way to, by the end, there is plentiful water. We notice at the end, Isaac's servants, Isaac is flourishing, they dug a well, and there is an abundance of water. So the beginning of the chapter is in in famine, the end of the chapter is in flourishing, as epitomized by water. And remember, this is a desert region in the ancient Near East. But also, there is a fear of violence, it begins in famine. And as Isaac uh, stays in the land with Rebekah, he's afraid that these Philistines in Gerar are going to take his wife. 
and they may actually kill him. And he's fearing for his life. And in fact, as the narrative unfolds, he experiences conflict with other Philistines and other shepherds. They're having conflict and disagreement about various wells to take care of their flocks and for their, um, their land and their crops. So there's fear, there's conflict, but there's also confrontation towards the end. Towards the end, Abimelech, the king here of, Philist- of the Philistines, along with Phicol, who is the candor- commander of his army, comes to, to Isaac And Isaac is convinced that they are going to enter into battle. And instead, though, they enter into a covenant of peace. So what I want you to see here, just at the very beginning, the flow of this narrative is it begins in famine, it begins in fear, it begins in conflict, and it ends in peace and flourishing and well-being. Now, what's the glue, though, that holds this narrative about Isaac together? The glue that holds this whole narrative together is this one basic idea. This whole chapter is about Isaac inheriting his father's blessing. This whole chapter is really about God. It's about God telling us That the promises that he has made, he will continue to keep. And that Isaac is inheriting the same promises, the same blessings that Abraham, his father, received from God. And so, what does God say? He says to Isaac, I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is verbatim language that God spoke to Abraham when he was still childless. When he was 100 years old and Sarah was 99 years old, and they're wondering, God, how are you going to follow through on these blessings, on these promises? And even verse 24, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. The promises I've made in the past are the promises I am making to you. The ways I have blessed your father and your mother, I'm going to bless you. And not only you, I'm going to bless your family. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Now here's the point I want you to see about the blessing of God. See, the blessing of God is the glue of the Bible. It's what holds it all together. And I want you to hear me say the blessing of God, the promises he makes to you in the Bible is the glue of your life. You are not the glue of your life. You can't keep it together. If there's any consistent theme 
and the characters of the Old Testament, they are a wreck. (laughs) They cannot keep their lives together. They're a mess. It's the one thing we hope our kids understand up in godly play. The stories and characters of the Old Testament are a mess. That's why they're so important. And what keeps their lives together is the blessing of God. His promises. From everlasting to everlasting. So first, the blessing of God. But now I want us to look and ask this question. Why, then, is the blessing of God so vital to Isaac's story? And not just to his story, but to your story. And that brings us to the second point here, the journey of a son. Remember, this is Abraham's promised son, Isaac. The God of the Old Testament is frequently called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And here in this story, we are seeing the journey of a son. And what I want us to notice here is there are profound similarities between Isaac and Abraham that Moses is trying to show you like father, like son. And what we see through this, what I hope you're going to see, is that just like in Abraham's life, in Isaac's life, God is showing us his power to work through people like this who are a mixture of fear and faith. That he has the power to work through people who are inconsistent, who are full of fits and starts, who have faith and are full of fear, and yet his blessing is the glue of their life. So let's look at this. The journey of this son Isaac. Notice it begins, he's in the land and there is a famine. Verse 1 again, and it's a different famine. Then it says the former one that was in the days of Abraham. Back in chapter 12, if you flip back, you'll see there was a famine in the land. But you know what Abraham did? In that instance, Abraham took his family to Egypt. But in this instance, what does God say? He says to Isaac, verse 2, he appears to him and he says, Do not go down to Egypt. Verse 6, Isaac settles in Gerar. Now, Gerar is in the southern part of Canaan. Gerar is a royal city of the Philistines at the time. And God says, do not go down to Egypt. Now, here is a profound act of faith. Why did Abraham go to Egypt? Because Egypt has food and water. God says to Isaac, stay in this land where there is no food, where there is no water. I will be with you. I will bless you. I will give you all these lands. Now, I want you to think for a moment. God is here saying to Isaac, do not follow your instinct here. 
Do not follow what you think the best strategy will be to take care of your family and deal with the problem of this famine. And I I want us to pause and I want you to think with me for a moment. Imagine this. Take this idea of famine. What, What is a famine? It is profound need. It's life-threatening. It is an experience of great lack. Now think for a moment today in your own life, if I can play on this idea of famine. Where do you feel palpable sense of need? Where do you feel the most temptation to grab hold of your life and fix it? Where do you feel the biggest amount of conflict and tension between God's word of blessing? I love you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your father. I will take care of you. Where do you feel the most profound conflict between that word of blessing and your impulse to fix your life, to go to Egypt, to follow your own word, your own best ideas, rather than listening to God and trusting him? Isaac here is a profound model of faith. But notice, even as he is a profound model of faith, he is a man of fear. Look in verse 7. Well, you don't have this. If you have a Bible, you can look there. In verse 7, they're still living in, in Gerar. And just like his father, listen to what happens. Uh, he says to his wife, Rebecca. And he tells the men of the land, uh, she's my sister. She's not my wife, she's my sister. Abraham did the same thing with Sarah. To another Abimelech. Back in chapter, uh, earlier in Abraham's story. And Isaac is terrified that uh, if they find out that Rebekah, his wife, that he'll be killed. Now here, before we had this picture of Isaac, this, this profound act of faith. And yet, in just a few verses, he's ready to um, dishonor his wife, to give up his wife, to sacrifice his wife for his own safety, for his own well-being. Fear and timidity get the better of him. Here is a man who, on the one hand can show profound faith, and in just a few verses, he gives in to fear and self-preservation and is willing to put his wife at great risk. And ironically, it's a pagan king who rebukes him and actually protects him and Rebekah from anyone doing anything dishonorable to her. Or killing him. And yet, in the midst of all of this, 
What do we notice? Despite even Isaac's failing, in verse 12 and following, Moses tells us that (coughs) Isaac, he uh, planted vineyards, he planted crops, and he reaped a hundredfold in that same year. And that he became very wealthy and very rich. What are we seeing here? The picture we're seeing here is that in the midst of faith and fear is flourishing. That God's blessing, that is the glue of this story, comes right into the reality of Isaac's life. A man who believes God's word and at the very same time is full of fear and timidity and self-preservation. And comes up with his own ways of dealing with the circumstances he doesn't know how to navigate. And so what I want you to think about as we uh, put this in the context of your life and in the story of the whole Bible, it would be, it would be tempting to read this story and, and think, well, this is great for him. Uh, it begins in a terrible situation, and it ends with uh, the, the, the ruler of this land recognizing Isaac's wealth and power and status and coming to him and entering into a covenant of peace. And Isaac is flourishing, and there's, uh, he's wealthy, he has uh, livestock and crops and, and wells that are uh, overflowing with water. And it would be easy to think, wow, this is happily ever after, and you know what, that's great, but that is not my life. So what gives? How can you find your footing in the blessing of God that we read about here? We can find our footing in the blessing of God in the journey of Isaac, this son. But I also want you to realize that the journey of this son really takes us to the journey of another son. And in fact, just like I said that the good news was preached beforehand to Abraham, Paul tells us that the offspring that God is really talking about in the book of Genesis is Jesus Christ. And it's the journey of that son that brings the blessing of God into your life in the midst of all the fear and the faith, all the wavering and the wondering. And how do we see this? Well, did you know that Jesus begins his public ministry in a situation of famine? In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus is in the wilderness, there's no food. And you know what Satan says to him? He says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answers, it is written, men shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. What hope is there for you in the midst of the famines in your life? You know what? It's not the strength of your faith. Your hope in the midst of the famines in your life, your desperate need in your life, is a Savior 
who lived by the word of God, even to the point of death on the cross for you. But not only that, when faced with fear, what does Jesus do? And the night when he was betrayed and he's in the garden of the Gethsemane and he, he prays, he says, Father, if there is any other way to get the job done, can we please do that? There is no way of reading Jesus in Gethsemane and not seeing profound fear and trepidation. And what does he do? He says, not my will, but your will be done. Think of it like this. Isaac was willing to give up his spouse, his bride, to save his life. But the journey of this son, he gave up his life to save his bride. Jesus, in the face of his fear, will never give you up. Jesus was willing to go to the cross despite the pain and the sorrow and the fear and the alienation and the desertion and even the death because he loves his bride and he will never leave her and he will never forsake her. And furthermore, we discover that Jesus has received all power and authority on heaven and earth. Jesus has received all of the blessings that God has promised. And he now lives and reigns to pour out those blessings on every man, woman, boy, girl who will call upon his name. That Jesus is the promised seed who has come. He is the blessing of God in the flesh for you. So when we, we read the story of Isaac, Isaac's story shows us that God's blessing is for people like us who are a mixture of fear and faith, who are a mixture of um, doubt and questions, who sometimes are really strong in following and trusting what God says and sometimes we totally blow it off. This story is a story of blessing and promise for people like that. In the story of Jesus, as the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is a story that tells us that God's blessing will never fail. Jesus is the glue of your life. Jesus alone is the one who can keep it together. And I hope that's really good news for you this morning. Because what that means is you can be honest about how you're really doing. Do not be afraid of what you discover about yourself, about other people, because the blessings of God in Christ are for you. And they are bigger and they are better than anything you can discover or have to face in your life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for stories like this, for characters like this. And we give you thanks for your word that holds it all together, that pronounces again and again words of blessing and promise and hope and 
Good news for people like us who really need good news this morning, who are a mixture of all kinds of things. And, And yet, Father, we need help to be able to know that you're not surprised by that. You're not put out by that. That's precisely why you sent Jesus. And so, Father, we do pray that you would take this story and that you would use it to help us to see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.